All right, everybody, welcome back to the Liberty Blues Network. I got something else to share that I recorded at the Libertarian Convention of California. It's a very nice speech that Calif or that um, Libertarian presidential candidate Joe Jorgensen uh, did for us in the morning. Uh, she hit some topics that really meant a lot to me. Uh, one of the things she talked about was how hostile and crazy the left is and just mean. Um, she also talked about something she called reactive theory. Um, it's something with psychology and how people will react the opposite when they're told what to do, you know, talking about mandates and stuff like that. So something very powerful here, a uh, nice message in, in Los Angeles. You know, she talked about the psychology of it all, and, you know, she she has degrees and those kind of things. So she knows what, really knows what she's talking about. But one of the topics that she was talking about with this reactive uh, thing. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, so I just fucked it all up. So uh, she talked about the PMRC back in the day. And, uh, you know, those of you who aren't old enough to remember it, the PMRC was uh, uh, something the Washington Wise put together. A bunch of uh, Democrats from, uh, from the Senate and uh, the, the different congresswomen's wives uh, Tipper Gore was the head of it. Her husband, Al Gore, was the vice president at the time. But they were the head of this PMRC, the Par uh, Parental Music Advisory Commission or some shit like that. But, it, you know, it's it censorship. They wanted to put labels on things. And it basically was a selling point for us, you know, who were kids at the time when these things happened. Um, actually, technically, I wasn't a kid at the time. I was a little older. I just behaved like a child. So, uh yeah, I was a little rowdy back in the day. So, um, but the PMRC, you know, that was the that that was the final straw for me. The 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 censorship um, coming out of the left, and I, I was a former Democrat. That's that was that was what sent me on my path to liberty. And I hope other people see the censorship that's going on from the left now, because you know this cancel culture is, or some people try to call it accountability culture you know it's 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 not letting people live and let live you 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 have they they feel the need to destroy people who who think different and the PMRC was about censorship and it sent me uh on this journey for liberty and i was very thankful that she brought that up you know uh i think more people can recognize the censorship these days and um i think she really hit a a, a great point there so without me uh, rambling on any further here comes Joe Jorgensen. I will see you on the next episode from the Liberty Blues Network. Enjoy. All right, everybody. I've got a new album coming out on April 15th. The title is Free People. There's a very special track on there, though. It's called Take Human Action. And it's a... Uh, Re rework of the old folk tune, The Worried Man Blues. I turned it into Take Human Action, and I want to donate all the royalties to the Mises Caucus. So, the more you listen, the more you give. It's a great way to give without spending a dime. I also invited a lot of the Meacocks from the Facebook group and a few other that I knew uh, to send in some tracks. So it's a group event, and there's several people playing on it. We had a big libertarian hootenanny. So please listen to it on April 15th and listen often and give to the Mises Caucus. Thank you very much and back to the show.
She was our vice, vice presidential candidate with Harry Brown in 2020, I mean 20, 2000, and our presidential candidate in 2020. She is the first woman that's been on the ballot in all 50 states, twice for the Libertarian Party. more tolerant of others' choices, uh, such as smoking. 
Imagine if 40 years ago, you put this on your crampon. Will inhale. Guess he didn't read the Surgeon General's report. Imagine making a political statement about smoking by mocking the death of smokers. And let me point out, I am a non-smoker. In fact, I've never smoked a single cigarette in my life. But back in those days, you could be a non-smoker and get along with other non-smokers. And you were called a non-smoker. Now you're called an anti-smoker. Now you're called anti-vax. Forget the fact that you're already vaccinated, you're still anti-vax. While I was on the campaign trail, I got asked a lot, why do you think we're so divided? Our country, um, is it because our government is so corrupt? And my immediate answer is no. We had a very corrupt Congress in the 1930s and 1940s. But the thing is, is nobody cared about it because not everything went through the government. We could, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, choose uh, health care, education, or retirement to, to more of a degree than we do now. So now what we have is, let's say you want prayer in your school and your neighbor doesn't. It's up for a vote. You gotta support your candidate, give money, um, uh, get all your friends to vote and vote. Meanwhile, your neighbor gets all of his or her friends together, donates money, puts out campaign signs. And then on election day, one of you is going to win and one of you is going to lose. And what we end up with is a one-size-fits-all that fits no one. And we end up with resentment and voter apathy. If we make every personal choice a matter of public policy, like smoking or vaccinating, getting vaccinated, or which stove you're allowed to buy, then what we end up with in our country is winners and losers in every aspect of our lives. And eventually, people are going to think that they have no choice but to make enemies of the people who are against them, of people who disagree with them. And not against is really too strong of a word, but simply people they disagree with, such as you decide to get vaxxed, your neighbor doesn't. You decide to smoke, your neighbor doesn't. For a while there in the campaign, I thought it couldn't possibly get any worse. And then it did. At least before we could elect people to school boards who would make decisions, uh, elect representatives, our so-called representatives, but now we're getting edicts from the White House. We're getting edicts from on high on what to do. So no longer are you just in battle with your neighbor to put somebody in to make decisions for you. Now, as many of you probably know, I teach at Clemson University. So today you're going to get two talks for the price of one. You're going to get a politics talk, a political talk, and a psychology talk. Because what I want to do is look at what are some of the reasons that this is happening. And not to worry, no pop quiz. So how do we explain the anger and the resentment and the politicians digging in their heels? First, does anybody remember PMRC? <laughs> Parents Music Resource Center. 
Typical. Um, I'm, I'm surprised some of the younger people are nodding your heads, but even if you're too young to remember it, I know you've seen the outcome of it. So what happened in 1985 was the Washington wives got together and they decided that they just didn't like the music that our kids were listening to. You know, for, again, we don't leave stuff like childbearing up to the parents, right? And notice these are Washington wives. They weren't elected. We're talking about like the wife of then Senator Al Gore, who later became vice president. They held a Senate hearing, which was rather amusing to watch because you've got, you know, you've got Tipper Gore and all these other straight-laced people. You've got the senators on their suits. And then you've got Dee Snyder. Do you know who Dee Snyder is? Twisted sister, the hair, the makeup, right? Although he did tone down the makeup. Uh, and um, Frank Zappa, I knew it would come to me. Frank Zappa. And here they were debating this, and the musicians were saying, you know what, we have the right to do whatever kind of music we want. If you don't like it, just don't buy it. You know, very simple, just don't buy it. Well, they came to an agreement where they put these little black stickers on what used to be CDs. Now they put, they use it somewhat, at least online, telling you, you know, bad. <laughs> And, and they've only got one sticker, but basically we're talking sex, violence, and ooh, naughty words, right? Okay, so now they're putting little stickers on music that teenagers buy. What do you think they're gonna wanna do? Run out by the stuff with the stickers. Like, you know, if, if it wasn't attractive before, it certainly is attractive now. So in psychology, here comes the lesson, but again, no pop quiz. We call this reactance theory. It's a little bit like reverse psychology. So typically what happens when you have choices taken away from you, you have three reactions. First, you want that item more. Just look at the kids who went on the you know, buying frenzy. Second, you try to reclaim the lost freedom. And third, especially if you're unsuccessful, it can turn to anger and resentment. And that's what we're seeing now. People are very angry and resentful. Look at the truckers, the truck drivers up there, and the force now that's being used against them. There's just so much anger, thanks to the masks, thanks to the mandates, and thanks to the uh, shutdowns. Now, I can also explain the stubbornness of the politicians through a different concept in psychology. 1954, there was a cult. Uh, and it was run by a woman in Michigan, a housewife, and a couple of psychologists infiltrated the cult because they had a really strange prediction that nobody else thought. Uh, what happened was she said, well, uh, the world's going to come to an end on December 21st, but if you simply turn in all your money, turn over your house, turn over your life savings, you can be saved by the spaceship that's going to come around on midnight <laughs> on December 21st. It's now 2022. We know the world has not come to an end. The spaceship was not needed. Now, everybody that, that predicted, looked at it, said, well, of course, when the spaceship doesn't show up, they're all going to go, this is a bunch of hooey, we're going to go home. Um, 
A psychologist, sorry, I have to throw in a name, Leon Festinger predicted otherwise. He said, no, the people who are invested in the cult, they're going to, uh, they're going to be even more committed to the cult. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and, and if you're sitting here thinking, you know, I'm kind of too smart for that. Uh, one of her right-hand people was a, a medical doctor. So she had, she had people with money going in on this. By the way, anybody want to guess as to what excuse she gave for the reason that there was no uh, spaceship showing up? Science of change. That's oh, very good. Very good. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. No, what she said at about five o'clock that morning is, thanks to your impressive faith, thanks to all the money you turned over, we averted the da the disaster completely. We didn't even need the spaceship. Now, the funniest, if you can use that word, I don't know that that's a good word, the funniest part about this is her husband was a very nuts and bolts guy. He was like the distribution manager of some factory warehouse or something, very, you know, uh, numbers oriented. And so he told his wife, yeah, I'm going to bed, wake me up when the spaceship comes. <laughs> he was gonna have none of that. So, so let's relate that to the politicians. What's going on, and by the way, the, the, the definition of cognitive dissonance, which is what Festinger came up with, is that it's too painful to basically think of yourself as a hypocrite. You know, you give all this money and then the spaceship doesn't show up. And we don't like being hypocrites. So what's going on with our politicians? You know, they're very slow to get rid of masks. And many of them are still saying, well, thank goodness we have the masks. You know, kind of like, thank goodness you gave us all of your money, we didn't need the spaceship. So we can see through psychology that now we've got this endless loop going on where people are digging their heels in because of reactance theory, and then you've got the politicians saying, oh, no, no, we're not wrong. <laughs> we're, gonna show you, we're gonna show you that you're right, or that we're right. All of the nastiness that people see today in politics comes from anti-libertarians. It comes from people who say, I know better than you what's good for you. Because you belong to a different group, there's something wrong with you. And they say, you know, because your worldview doesn't match mine, uh, you're worthy of ridicule. Hence, we see, well, that's my headstone that I made, but we see the other headstone. The libertarian view rejects all of these prevalent not, uh, toxic notions. Many of us, and I know I'm not the only one in this room, have been called selfish, have been called um, uncompassionate, that we don't care for others. I suggest they're the ones who are mean. They're the ones who are nasty and selfish. The fact that you're going to take thousands of deaths, hundreds, hundred thousand, whatever, and ridicule the people who died. How about letting people make choices? Like we used to let people smoke and if they died and they had cancer, 
we said, gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Today, we have the chance to remind people that liberty isn't just don't tell me what to do. Instead, it's I wouldn't dream of telling you what to do. We're the compassionate ones. Thanks so much. everybody went on coffee break at the same time. <laughs> I guess I got the floor to myself, right? Okay, anybody got a question? Oh, Mimi, there you are. Okay. Uh, just yell when it's time. Okay. I'm, I'm, since I'm a teacher, I'm very good at seeing stuff in the back of the class. <laughs> uh, any questions? I mean, all this and then you don't have a question. <laughs> yes. Oh, I... Your second. Just turn the mic on. It's an on switch on there. I got it. Oh, okay. There it is. I think. Right. Yeah. Take, take a second to kick in. Okay. Good. Uh, so, what would you say was the most hopeful thing that you saw as you were running for president and then? afterwards, like, you know, what what would you say is, like gives you uh, space for optimism? And are you mostly optimistic or, or not? Oh, I'm very optimistic. I think you do have to be optimistic to run for office. Uh, I would suggest starting with the results, and a lot of people don't realize this, we beat Gary Johnson's first run, which might not sound like much, but he was a two-term governor. And everybody kept saying for years, we need somebody's name recognition. Nobody knew my name outside of my students, nobody. And yet we were able to beat Gary Johnson's numbers. And I think that's hopeful. And that's in a pandemic when we couldn't shake as many hands as would have been nice. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you were the one back there, right. I didn't want anybody cutting in front of you, okay. <laughs> So what do you think we need to do to attract younger people to the Libertarian Party? Oh, you're going to think, people are going to think I planted you in the audience, but I didn't. So Tara DeSisto at headquarters, if any of you don't know who she is, I keep saying when I grow up I want to be just like her. She's a very no-nonsense, you know, gets-it-done woman. And Jim Lark, many of you may know from the LNC, he's been around forever. Uh, those two pretty much masterminded it, but I'm on the board. We have just started a new group called the Association of Libertarian Educators, and we're having our first uh, conference in Boston at the end of March. Now, it is just for educators this time around, but we're going to put our heads together and figure out how can we get them at an earlier time. Because right now, and, and, and it, it's just so frustrating that pretty much 90% of the indoctrination is from the left. And, and I have had students who know that I run, but I hope there's time. Let me tell you kind of a funny story if I didn't, if I didn't tell you guys this last year. Uh, so this is me in costume. In my real life, I don't wear makeup. I put my hair in a ponytail and I, watch, and I wear Birkenstocks with like long cotton dresses, okay? And so I had one student in an online class type, she typed hashtag Joe20, 
And I said, yeah, thanks. You know, we don't talk about politics in this class. And she typed back, yeah, I thought it was a really big coincidence that you looked like that lady. And then I realized it was you. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I have had students ask me, so aren't you going to tell us about your presidential run? Aren't you going to talk about politics? And I say, no, I'm here to teach psychology. And if I start talking about my pet um, political beliefs, I'm basically stealing tuition from you and your parents. So the, the people that need to be stopping indoctrination So hi, I'm actually part of the Libertarian Youth Caucus, which is getting a lot of use of, into the Libertarian Party. And um, something that I think is that our school system is broken. We're not learning the things that we should supposed to be learning, as in like home ed and kitchens and how to do taxes and stuff like that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering, what do you, how do you think we can improve our school system and to learn the things that we're supposed to learn that we need to learn? So could you repeat your question? How do you think we can fix the school system to learn the things that we should be learning? You don't. You overthrow them. <laughs> if elections were going to do it, we would have won it by now. We gotta get this notion out of our head that we're gonna do anything by committee, anything through elections. Did you know that Brexit, from the time that they first started, to the time they had their vote was six weeks. We don't have time to get elected to Congress and school board. What we, and, and, and the movement is starting. And one thing I kept saying to some people, somebody needs to jump in front of this. And I know it's like somebody, you know, like, like um, everybody else's time and I don't, but um, I'm doing the uh, educators. But um, yeah, that was a perfect, uh, movement to get in front of, and we need to be more visible with that because we're the original pro parent, pro teacher, pro student making their own choices. So that's the only way. Hey, Joe, how are you today? Good, how are you? Good, great speech. I really enjoyed hearing you speak. Um, I wanted to start by thanking you for all of your hard work with your organizations that you've set up post election. Oh, thank you for Liberty, the Educators Association, etc., like that. And thank you for all your hard work. That's very kind, thank you. Um, well, my question is kind of centered around that, right? You are really kind of our, our I wouldn't say the first, but at least in the, in the recent history, the first presidential candidate that has really taken her, uh, her gestalt and been able to, to transform it into organizations that support the movement. And I wanted the opportunity to thank you for that. But I wanted to hear kind of your philosophy behind why that decision was made. Maybe you can share that with the crowd so that they might be inspired to do something similar. Of why what? Of, of why you took your, your effort from your presidential campaign and curtailed it into organizations that have spun off new education, et cetera. Well, thank you for that, that I don't deserve the credit Steve Dosbach does. And I've, I guess I've had a lot of people say, well, you're so good at unity. You know, maybe you should do this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, sorry, I can't claim credit that was Steve. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we had um, Jake Porter, who was um, Jake Jacobs' uh, campaign manager. He was on our staff. Seth Levy, who was Judge Gray's campaign manager, on our staff. And we had probably, okay, Steve, I see you just walked in the room. What percentage of people in the original Facebook, like following the nomination, were from Vernon's camp? Yeah, uh, I mean, because Vervin was very good with the internet. 
he was very good at having this organic following. So a lot of them came over to our campaign. So I, I know we have more Vermin people on our you know, social media than our own. So basically, Steve just did a good job of putting everybody together, which I'm not sure I could have negotiated that. So, but I think that's one of the reasons Okay, that was the last question. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I will be at the banquet tonight, and as I said, I'll be here till Monday, so I'd love to talk to you if you have any questions one-on-one. -on -one. So, and thanks again. Thank you.